So it's time for some wild speculation. I'm game. Why do you think that Michael Fassbender agreed to star in and produce this movie? Maybe he's part of another different secret society and this was a task that he had to do for the furtherment of their goals. I guess mine is a lot less wild than yours. I just thought he wanted to show off his ability to speak Spanish. (laughs) His name is Callum Lynch. We've traced his bloodline back 500 years to the Assassin's Creed. You're about to enter the Animus. What you see, hear, and feel are the memories of your ancestor, who's been dead for 500 years. Wait a minute! Welcome to the Spanish Inquisition. We're watching you, waiting to see who you are. I believe you are destined for great things. Let's find out. We work in the dark to serve the light. We are assassins. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, a bad movie podcast. Where today we're talking about Assassin's Creed, starring Michael Fassbender, Jeremy Irons, Marion Cotillard, Charlotte Rampling, Michael K. Williams, somehow a terrible movie. You forgot to mention Brendan Gleeson. Oh, I'm sorry, Brendan Gleeson also. Yeah. This is based on the video game series Assassin's Creed, which I have never played and know very little about, other than the cover looks cool, which is why I went to see this movie. (laughs) Fair enough. I only know a little bit about it, which is just what my husband has told me. So this is another one of those movies that actually looks really good. Yeah. And the action scenes are really good. So it's not not worth watching. It's just you need to have moderated expectations. And they made it look just like a video game. Yeah. I mean, that that was really impressive. And all of the, the ways that they move and jump and the chases, like the ways that they like stab people, like jump down and mm-hmm. stab them like that. A lot of posing. That's all right out of the video game. Even the ways that they like push people aside when you're walking through the crowd, like all of that stuff is right out of graphics from the video game. Yeah, and the fight scenes and chase scenes and all that, they're beautifully choreographed. Yeah, they're really good. If not very plot relevant. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we'll jump right in. We are not going to get a voiceover in this movie. No. We are expected to read. (laughs) I know. And we are expected to read much more than just the introductory text. We're expected to read quite a bit. Subtitles. I know! What's the deal with all this Spanish, guys? I feel it was like scary. I'm being subtitle shamed. <laughs> Someone's impugning my ability to read quickly. There was a lot of a surprising dedication to having people speak the language they should be speaking this... for a movie that was so dumb. Yeah, well, first of all, I think everybody took themselves really seriously on this movie. It had like a $130 million budget or something. Also, they said that they tried to shoot it in English first, and it just seemed weird. So... I kind of liked it. I thought the Spanish added a little hint Mm -hmm. of mystery to the whole flashback stuff. Yeah. But that does not explain why the opening text just scrolls on up. We can do anything more creative... No, well... ...than some scrolling opening text. Rose. 
on this podcast, all movies have to either have scrolling text or a voiceover. Maybe. We cannot be <laughs> expecting people to put exposition into their movies. Even though they all do. To set the scene? Oh, I know. And that's the weird thing. Like, you're clearly just putting it all over the place every like, yeah. later. Why didn't you just do it more? Yeah. So the text reads, For centuries, the Order of the Knights Templar have searched for the mythical Apple of Eden. They believe it contains not only the seeds of man's first disobedience, but the key to free will itself. If they find the relic and decode its secrets, they will have the power to control all freedom of thought. Only the Brotherhood called the Assassins stand in their way. And then we are told that we are in Andalusia, Spain? Mm Mm-hmm. Just gonna let people know, I know very little Spanish. So (laughs) if I get something wrong, don't tell me about it. So we're in the year 1492. There's a shadowy meeting of cloaked assassins and some light blacksmithing for some reason. I guess they're just making yeah, some daggers no, in the background. Yeah, no, they're like, I don't know why those things would be in the same room. <laughs> it's not like super pleasant in blacksmitheries. It's very hot and it's really loud and it probably smells really bad. Probably. They're like, mm, this is just where we're going to do all of our guild business. <laughs> yeah, it's just important that you know that they have specially made daggers in addition to being a shadowy group. Yeah, guys, they have knives. Yeah. That are cool looking and strapped to their wrists. Yeah, that too. The head cloaked figure tells the sexy cloaked figure. <laughs> we can already tell even though he's cloaked. It's Undeniable. Fair enough. His name, by the way, is... Aguilar. Aguilar. My Spanish is so good. (laughs) Guys. Means eagle. Oh, that's why we keep seeing that eagle flying around everywhere. I really should have brushed up on some Spanish (laughs) before watching this. All of the names of the protagonists in these video games mean eagle in the Um. language that they they have. So the Italian one is Ezio and like, uh, you know, all this stuff. It's always eagle. Okay, so this guy is played by Michael Fassbender. Spoiler alert, we could tell because he was so sexy. (laughs) And because he has a thin waist. Yes. Well, he he is very trim. I know. And he looks really good in that little cloak business. Yeah. It's like a... I don't disagree. It's kind of like a duster jacket, but but it fits tightly around the waist. It's Uh just like the length is like mid-calf, maybe? Yeah. And it fits tightly around the waist with a nice embroidered kind of band. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's also got a hood. Yes. So it's like an assassin. Very mysterious. Hood. So he's told that the Inquisition has delivered Spain to the Templars. Granada, which is still ruled by Sultan Muhammad, is the last holdout. But if his son gets kidnapped, he'll surrender the city and the apple to the Templars. Aguilar swears to do his all to stop the evil Templars. He gets a sexy female partner named Maria, Mm. who tells him where other men blindly follow the truth. Remember, nothing is true. Where other (laughs) men are limited by morality or law, remember, everything is permitted. And that is the creed. Yes, it gets repeated a lot. Can we just take a second to dissect this creed? It's really difficult, I think, to have a creed where you say nothing is true. Yeah. If nothing is true, what's the point of all this? Yeah, isn't that weird? I don't... Like, that 
Because nothing is true. So, like, this, your own creed wouldn't be true. Also, the world, is anything in the world true? If nothing's true, what are you fighting for? I mean, I think what they're saying is that, like, nothing that the Knights Templar says is true. And the Knights Templar, their power is so overblown in this. I mean, even in 1492, mm-hmm. they are running the church and... They make it seem later like they sort of, like, made the church what it is so that they could control people. And so I guess they're just saying, like, nothing's true. Don't listen to anything anybody else says. Yeah. It's weird. Also, I would like to highlight that the assassins in their own creed say that they are not bound by morality or law. We'll just put a pin in that. But that's (laughs) an important point. Even though they are at least bound by the morality of free will. But whatever, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, everything is permitted, but, like, you also have to do these things. Right. Whatever. And then we get the the last part of the creed, which he says back to her. We work in the dark to serve the light. We are assassins. Mm-hmm. Some would see serving the light as being, you know, followers of truth. But it's fine. Don't worry about <laughs> it. But then we get some rock and roll playing. The title flashes yeah, up. Yeah, weird. It that rock and roll doesn't match any the the mood for literally anything else in the entire movie. It's a bold choice. Yeah. Very bold choice. But we see an eagle flying. So the eagle flying is basically gonna be like all transitions between everything. Yeah. It's a golden eagle. I didn't know. I also thought it was a hawk actually until you said that his name was Eagle. But it's fine. Yeah. I'm super good with birds. The eagles flying over the mountains of Baja, California, in Mexico in 1986. We mm-hmm. see a little boy who's maybe around, like, what, eight or nine? Yeah. He's practicing dangerous bike tricks with very limited success. <laughs> yeah. But also limited injuries, somehow. It's fine. He he laid some threadbare mattresses down, so yeah. it, it was fine. <laughs> He goes back home and finds his mother dead at the kitchen table while Patsy Cline's Crazy plays in the background. And pro tip, don't put on old records in sun-drenched, afternoon sun-drenched rooms if you don't want to get murdered. <laughs> no. no, especially a song like Crazy. Like, yeah. You you had it coming. And that, uh, his mother is Essie Davis uh, from The Babadook. Cool. And Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Very interesting. A cloaked man stand, who's standing nearby, and whenever I say cloaked, I mean the assassin's cloak. I just don't know what else to call it. Yeah. So if anyone is described as being cloaked, they are wearing an assassin's cloak. No, I think that's fair. A cloaked man is standing nearby in the kitchen. He speaks backward Spanish in the corner, because which I had to... I only know because I have the subtitles on and it said speaking Spanish backwards. <laughs> it turns out it's his father! Yep. He tells him, your blood is not your own, Cal. They've found us. Those two statements don't feel like they go together. Yeah. Also, that's Brian Gleason. Yes. Who plays young Brendan Gleason. Yes. Who plays the father of... uh, Michael Fassbender. Right. His name is Cal. In the American stuff, his name is Cal. But he... His father tells him basically run away. We see a bunch of cars pulling up outside. And his father is arrested... As a creepy guy in sunglasses watches from one of the cars. Uh, yeah, who looks like he fell asleep. Like, <laughs> it's Jeremy Irons, and he looks like he fell asleep in the van, and that's what we're seeing. 
Oh, that's funny. Jeremy Irons needs his eyes, you guys. He needs his <laughs> eyes to tell us things, and he didn't have them here, and it was a problem. Yes, he doesn't have his eyes, not because he's blind or... Oh, like, yeah, they didn't yeah, remove them for the movie. <laughs> right. He's wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Just in case you're wondering. I mean, this is a movie about assassins. We need to be very particular about <laughs> exactly. these eyes. We flash forward to 30 years later at the Huntsville Department of Criminal Justice in Texas. Ah, yeah. Pretty close to where we're recording this. Not too close, though. No. (laughs) Not close enough. Like, you've got a while before you... We can still pick up hitchhikers. That's the thing. Yeah, you have a while before you hit the signs that say don't pick up hitchhikers prison area. Yeah. Michael Fassbender, who is the grown boy from the previous scene, Cal, he's sitting in a cell drawing charcoal drawings... Which people only do in movies when they're having dreams or visions. So I, know. I don't know why he was doing I this. I thought he was drawing his dreams. Well, yeah, because he w- did seem to be drawing people in the cloaks, from what I could see. They were not super clear drawings all the time. Yeah. But they this never gets brought up again. Nope, never brought up. And he's not, he doesn't really draw anymore after Mm-mm. this. There's no point to a lot of what happens for, like, the next three minutes. Yeah, because then a priest comes in and tries to read him the Bible, but he's not interested. He's like, I guess you're not much for the Bible. Right. And, and then the he priest... just looks away and doesn't say anything. And I'm like, why so I'm like, did we have, have to watch this? How have you been a prison chaplain? Yeah, like, he's you're terrible. you're not very good at it. Oh, he's bad. Also, surely most prisoners don't wear all white you got to see if they've been shivved recently. It's the best way to tell. Yeah, you're not wrong. His relationship to religion has also never gone into again. No, and it's very clear. So I think, okay, no, here's the deal. Anytime you're like, why did we go into that later? I will tell you why. This movie was originally supposed to be two hours and 20 minutes. They cut 32 minutes out of this movie. Wow. Yeah. So... Anything that you're not seeing, that's probably where it went. I would have been really interested to see the full version. Yeah, me too. It was probably a lot better. They probably cut out a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. And and the things that, like, tied the movie together. Right. And gave it any sort of depth or meaning. Right. Seriously. Or made us care about the characters. Yeah. It makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah, I think, so here's the deal. The implication is that he's not much for the Bible because the assassins are in his blood and the Knights Templar were using religion at the time, according to this movie, to control people. And so he would have a natural aversion to it. Yeah, okay. We're going to get into this whole blood situation later on. It's a roadmap. I have some things to say. Roadmap to your past and future, Rose. You can't (laughs) deny it. It's science. Marion Cotillard says multiple, multiple, multiple times that she is a scientist, so you can't argue with that. (laughs) It is like her catchphrase in the movie. I'm a scientist. Which, like, is not something that scientists say all the time, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. It's like somebody who talks a lot about what a cool, fun time they're having. Like, they're probably not. Yeah. Well, it turns out he's on death row. That's why the priest was with him. He's marched down to the lethal injection room where he's executed for capital murder. He's asked if he has any last words because, of course, those are important. His last words are, tell my father I'll see him in hell. So in case we were wondering, doesn't like his father. I feel like we could have picked that up in other ways, but it's fine. If he really wants to end his life with this thought. Also, it's weird that he said, tell my father, like they know where he is. Right, or like he's seen his father anytime in the last 30 years. 
Yeah, like, why wouldn't you just say, yeah, I'll see my father in hell? Right, because he, we find out later, was raised in a series of foster homes and juvenile homes. Yeah. So he hasn't seen his father since his father killed his mother. And, like, I understand that this would be a traumatic event for a child, but I also feel like he has had 30 years of life experience, including killing someone in between them. Surely he should have different last words than well, this. Well, yeah, like, you're 40, dude. You need to stop blaming your dad for all of your problems. Yeah. Even if he caused them, at this point, you're only holding yourself back. It was weird. And it was that thing of because we just saw his father killing his mother. Yeah. Like, it's still it's on our brain. Us, but, but it's been 30 years for this guy. Like, come he on, needs man. to move on. Yeah. So here's the other thing, though. He is 40, as we mentioned. Yes. Um, He's like 20 years older than any of the characters in the games that you, you would have played. Oh, that's funny. Which is interesting. Like, it, it's. I, I'm not sure why they used. Him? I thought about that, because I was like, he does look a little bit old to be... Yeah, the main character in a video game. He's... Especially since, at the end, I feel like they tried to kind of do a sequel setup. Yeah, they absolutely and did. And I was like, you know, if you choose someone, if you choose to start your franchise with somebody Michael Fassbender's age, like, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. You know, down the road. Absolutely. I mean... Because he's not aging slowly. I mean... No. He looks 40. Yeah, he does. Exactly. Which is why I assumed that he was 45. Because usually nobody looks their age in Hollywood. Yeah. Or they look way older than they are. So he's given the lethal injection drugs and he sees like this woman standing by his bedside who can't see clearly. And then he starts like flashing on moments from his life and it's it's very dramatic. But then he wakes up. So he was not executed after all, which is a shocking twist. It's so weird that they didn't execute the main character ten minutes into the movie. No. It was a bold choice. I really, I had my purse in hand, and I was about <laughs> to leave the theater that I rented to show a movie that hasn't been playing for two years. <laughs> so he wakes up in a white room with Marianne Cotillard sitting at his bedside. Her character name is Sophia. <laughs> Dr. Sophia Rankin, as she introduces herself. Yes. She tells him that as far as the world knows, he is dead. Which is the most threatening thing that you could <laughs> say to anybody upon their waking up. It's, yeah, it's a weird decision to make. Yeah, just so you know, no one's ever going to look for you. Yeah. We're so glad you're here. Please feel safe. Yes. <laughs> he le- he gets up, like, out of the bed and starts stumbling around. I mean, that's generous. Yeah. yeah, into the hall. She's like, no one touch him. It's fine. And, he, he, and she's like, you should be lying down. He, and he shows an admirable dedication to the role in this scene. He does, because he is stumbling around through his entire trip through the facility. And he looks like a real weirdo. Yeah. Eventually, he gets to a ledge in a weird green housey looking or like i don't the the building the interiors on this building are hard to describe in this case there's like a it's like a concrete room Uh but also there's a river going through it and some potted plants it's i mean again they did a great job of making it look like a video game yeah they really did and the locations are interesting looking but they also make very little sense oh yeah they don't make any (laughs) sense at all um, and especially it doesn't make sense that they're here and it's just like, oh, hey, anyone who wants to commit suicide, just come up here. Yeah, because he stumbles up to an open ledge, which I thought was actually supposed to be a window. And then Michael K. Williams, who's standing nearby, and who's also like a, a prisoner at this facility, is like, jump, do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this really is an open ledge? Yeah, 
really quietly and like kind of looking around and I'm like, dude, what's your deal? <laughs> no. So that was interesting. So Via catches up to him and tells him he's not a prisoner, which I don't know where she's getting this from. He's not allowed to leave the facility. None of them are. Therefore, they are prisoners That's there. That's the thing. She says it so many times. You're not a prisoner. I think that you've redefined prisoner <laughs> in your book to mean that the person holding them <laughs> is the penal system. Yes. And since this isn't a jail run by the government, there can't be prisoners. Yes. That's not the case. They are very definitely prisoners. Yeah. Just saying it a bunch of times it's doesn't like make it true. It's like a bunch of armed guards. Yeah, and they're put into rooms that are clearly cells. Although I use the word armed lightly, <laughs> they appear to only have nightsticks. Well, you know, they probably don't want the assassins to get their hands on real weapons. I would be worried about that, yes. <laughs> Sophia tells Cal that he's in a place where they're studying new ways to get rid of violence. As though this, she keeps talking about violence. She says so many times, violence is a disease. It's like she doesn't understand what a disease is. Yeah. It's not a disease. You can't cure it. I know. It's just, I think she thinks that it's a mental, like, predilection that people have Mm -hmm. that you could cure if you understood the pathways and the the dna sequences that go into violence well the other problem is they act like it's gonna be something easy to solve but like even rabbits are capable of violence given the right condition like yeah even things that have had aggression for the most part bred out of them through evolution are still capable of violence. Now, you are aware that Watership Down is not a documentary. Oh, that was my problem. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, it does seem a little bit weird that a scientist would look at the world that she's living in and think that this was possible. It's very strange. The guards aren't willing to wait for him to be talked down by Sophia. They shoot him with a trank dart. And Sophia's upset by this. But they're like, it's your father. He gave the order. And he's in charge. Yep. Her father's Jeremy Irons. Spoiler alert. English guy with French daughter. Happens all the time. Yeah, probably. Well, probably, except that she has a strong French accent. Yeah, like he would have had to... And yeah. she said her mother was murdered by assassins when she was a child. So, well, I guess theoretically, she would have in... raised, been raised... Well, I guess they lived in France. I don't know. We clearly need more backstory explained to deal with this accent situation. Come on, the missing 32 minutes. (laughs) I spent my summers in France (laughs) with my mother's family. Okay. So Sophia says to, I guess she's over the whole shooting him with a trank dart thing. Because then she's like, prepare the animus. It sounded less evil when she said it. But it did sound a little bit evil, so. It sounded weirder when she said it because it sounded like she said, prepare the animus. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what medical treatment are you looking at? <laughs> yeah. Well, the Animus is the name of the machine that they're going to be using throughout this. Yes. Which is from the video game. The, it basically oh. looks like it's in this room and there's like computers that people are using on one side of it. And what it looks like in the movie is a crane that attaches to something on your back and spins you through the air and allows you to move around the room and there's also like a neural implant that feeds everything you're seeing into their computers which makes no sense to me but magic so it's fine i guess so yeah i'm not sure that the animus looked like that in the video game it didn't they said they they changed the way it looked yeah 
So he's like freaking out though. Yeah, because they're just strapping him into this machine. And she's like, this is not the way that I usually like to do this. And I guess she meant that she wants people to go willingly and she wants to explain it to him. And I was like, does this work better when people are terrified? Like, how does this... Well, And then we find out later that there are repercussions for people not understanding what they're doing and for not being willing to do this. I know. And also, for one thing, he now has drugs in his system because they shot him with a tranquilizer. Yeah. So he's got drugs in his system. I feel like that's got to mess it up. I know. And they also couldn't take 10 minutes to explain it to him. Nope. This just seems baffling. It is weird because he also keeps asking about it. It's not like he doesn't want to know. He keeps asking and she's like, this just isn't how I like to do this, but let's get through this and then I'll talk to you about it later. Yeah. And they also put Aguilar's wrist blades on his arms and they're like, what is the provenance on this? I'm like, I'm sorry. Are the wrist blades really important to the animus? Because I do not think they are. But she's like, oh, have we proven provenance? Yes, they were buried with him. We must put them on his arms. I'm like, yeah, this feels like it is completely irrelevant to everything else that's happening. I don't understand how that can possibly matter. So what they, they're going to call them regressions, but it's basically like sending him back to one of his ancestors' memories. And in this case, it's Aguilar. They'll talk later about the genetic DNA thing, which is a huge conundrum. <laughs> but they control his regression somehow through the computer. They're like, oh, send him back to 1490 Spain and this place. And it totally works because he shows up there. And I'm like, that Michael Fassbender would have so many ancestors. Even if you could somehow send him back to that year, he would have so many ancestors in the 1490s. And even if you could send him back to that place, he, I mean, I'm like, is that really the only ancestor he had in that time and place? Like, that was a lot of generations ago. Well, it can't have been, considering that his he would have a mother there, too. It's a little bit, like, you just kind of have to go with, like, video game magic on this logic, because it makes no sense that they would be able to control <laughs> it like this. I know. And I refuse to believe that those wrist blades would help. Anyway. They made all the difference. Yeah. I think that's what we're supposed to think, is because of the wrist blades, that's how he somehow connects with... <laughs> that's how he knew which ancestor to yeah. go back to. Even though he doesn't know what's going on at all. So we go back to Spain, we open on a battle, it's the siege of a city that we are not going to get into. I guess yeah. it's supposed to be Granada, but we... Yeah. I don't know, because it's not explained. So, because <laughs> then we follow the eagle that's flying some more, and it flies to a group of cloaked people standing in... This is the middle of the day, by the way. They are not blending in. No, they're not so, trying to. Yeah, there's a group of cloaked people standing conspicuously on a ridge that overlooks a small village where some Templar soldiers have found the Sultan's son hiding in a basement. Yes. These people would be visible from a mile away... They are trying to be sneaky because they're assassins. They're always trying to be sneaky. And I really feel like this was ill-advised, but whatever. Well, maybe they're so good that they don't have to try. Well, can you at least wear the local garb or something? No! How are we going to hide all of our blades and such in local garb? Oh my gosh. Just in case we were wondering if the Templars were evil, the Templars ordered the family that was hiding the prince hanged and the entire village burned. It's so, so hilarious that the director of this movie said that he didn't want to show one side as right and the other side is wrong. He said that? Yes. 
because the Templars are super duper evil and the assassins are basically maybe not noble but they're more noble and good than anyone else we're given I know the only thing he because like if you if you go one way or the other like all the way on their their ideas then you get something weird and I'm like that's true of literally every idea um and we're also never shown the extreme of the assassins which is anarchy yeah we're never shown that no we're only shown the extreme of the Templars. Like, the assassins are never trying to get to their extreme, and the Templars are. Right. So, it's really weird. And I think that he thinks that he struck a balance by having Marion Cotillard be in the movie. No. And he didn't. That was not the I know. Case. I know. It's weird. That's unfortunate. I would have been more interested in, in that movie. Yeah. So then, one of the Templar knights, for no particular reason... Just starts announcing their plan. <laughs> just to the the soldiers in the village who feel, I feel like should have already known the plan. Yeah. That the Sultan will surrender Granada now because they have the prince and that will put Spain under Templar rule. But it gives Aguilar and the other assassins the perfect opportunity. Very theatrical. To start killing them. With lots of posing, of course. Oh, yeah. It's like one of the prerequisites to being an assassin is how well can you pose while killing someone. Your sense of the dramatic has to be finely tuned. Yes. So Maria takes off with a cart holding the boy, the prince, in the back. And Aguilar follows on horseback to help her outrun the men who are following, the Templar men who are following her. Yes. We get a really long chase scene that I'm not going to describe. And then his memory cuts out when he dives over a cliff to catch his partner from going over the edge. Mm-hmm. So then we see Sophia and her father in her office, or an office, listening to a speech by her father, Jeremy she, Irons. Yeah, she walks in and Jeremy Irons is sitting there watching his own speech in the dark. And I'm like, dude, this is really sad. <laughs> who does that? He's a Kanye man. West does that. <laughs> Don't be Kanye. But the speech is on their scientific goal of eliminating violence and, you know, how noble it is. Sophia gives him a report on how the regress with Cal went. Jeremy Irons wants to push him harder, but Sophia, who's worried about his health and sanity, which feels like a good thing to worry about, wants to take it a slower, safer approach. I do think that if this is literally your only chance of ever finding the apple, you might want to, you know, use your resources carefully. Yeah. Agreed. Jeremy Irons, whose name is Alan, which is a super dinky name for your villain to have, (laughs) tells Sophia he's proud of her and then goes off to the report to the elders. Just so we know, close father-daughter bonds. Yeah, very. One of the elders, who's this older woman, who's the only elder we'll ever see. Charlotte Rampling. Yes. She's amazing. I love her. She tells Alan that next week the elders are going to vote to end his project and spend that $3 billion elsewhere, even though they seem to have an unlimited supply of money because he acts like it's a drop in the the bucket of their budget. Yeah, I know. Like, it's not like, guys, you're spending all of our money. They're just like, we could use it somewhere else. People no longer care about their civil liberties. They care about their standard of life. The modern world has outgrown notions like freedom. They're content to follow. This is basically when the movie turns into, like, this libertarian propaganda film for, like... Yeah. I mean, it's just... Throw off the bonds of right. everything that came before. Yeah, like, I get it. 
And, like, how, you know, evil these, like, any institution that's trying to control your free will, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I get it. But, like, this was a bit ham-fisted if you wanted nuanced villains. Especially since you said that that guy thought he was being even-handed. The assassins never give a speech like this. No. And no. it's so evil. I know. And he's, he also, by the way, Alan is claiming that the Knights Templar are responsible for consumerism. I know. Like, really? Yeah. You're responsible for people wanting stuff? By the way... Right, because these are all the ways they've tried and failed. Right. So, by the way, consumerism is something that is more obvious now because you can buy more stuff and it's easier to get and it's cheaper and all that stuff. But people have always wanted stuff and had stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guarantee you, before the Knights Templar started, people were wanting stuff. Yeah, it's one of those things where they just take everything that sounds bad yeah, and exactly. attribute it to these people as part of their evil scheme to control the world. We tried everything. Religion, consumerism, clubbing seals. <laughs> yeah. Alan does not buy her argument. They have the assassin's descendant right there. Why not just use him? Seems right. like a good plan. He makes an excellent point. She is not interested in that. I know. I will say... Um, She's like, eh, we're doing okay. Yeah. We don't need it. Which totally. is weird, because it's been a goal for, like, 600 years, so... I know, why you're this close, you... and apparently $3 billion isn't that much to you. You can't hold off for another couple weeks? Yeah. Because this guy's gonna die, and he doesn't have any kids, so... I know, yeah, I'm like, at least force him to have... to father some children or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then raise them as Knights Templar. Guys, come on. Meanwhile, Cal is back in his cell, hallucinating. Like you yes. do. It's apparently called the bleeding effect, we're told later. Right, and she's like, it's just past memories. And I'm like, he has a past memory <laughs> of someone running at him? Like, the memory would be first person. Well, it's the memory of Aguilar practicing running threateningly, <laughs> which he did to a mirror. So that's why. No? You don't think you're not buying that? I think the movie just had a bad explanation again. <laughs> again, not shocking. Yeah. So now she explains how the animus works. It reads genetic memory. So the memory of all of our ancestors that came before us is written in our genetic code. Jean-Baptiste Lamarck would be so into this theory. <laughs> Okay. I get that this was a device that they needed in the video game in order to explain how you can see your, the you know, the memories of your ancestors. Yeah. Why would that be the case? I don't have, like, humans do not experience the memories of their ancestors. You are only saying that because you've never been in the animus. Well, that's true. But, but like, on an evolutionary level... Humans don't experience, you know, like, just because my grandmother uh, got married and had kids doesn't mean I now have an innately better knowledge of how to have children. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, oh my gosh. It would, mean that, <laughs> it would mean that history wouldn't repeat itself because we would be now superior humans but from all that we learned in our genetic code from our ancestors' memories. Well, I think her argument is that it does repeat itself because of that. Well, that's a flawed argument that's been disproven by science many times. So I don't... Because she keeps saying, she's like, I'm a scientist. Murderers have murderer children. And I'm like, you can't... 
saying you're a scientist before that yeah. doesn't actually prove anything you're saying. It does not give validity to this claim. So her argument is that assassins have proven that their children are violent because the assassins are violent. So they're all their descendants are also violent. Yeah. She says that he's proof of heredity and crime. And it's really... It, it's funny because I, I mean, I get that, like, that's the thing, but, like, they also don't go into the, like, ah, man, I have such a problem with this. I know. I mean, it's the same thing, but, like, this is literally, she's literally describing eugenics. It, it can't possibly be true, because what if an assassin marries a farmer? Yeah. So does that mean that you are a violent farmer? Like, what? what's the compromise <laughs> here? And at some point, you have so many descendants, or so many ancestors. Right. Like, all of us have so many ancestors, and so many common ancestors, if you go far enough back, that we should all basically be the same, which means that the Templars are no different than the Assassins, genetically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's also, again, like, just eugenics. Um, which is so problematic. And yeah, and I'm also like, you've never come across a, a descendant from an assassin who wasn't violent. Yeah, right? Like, also, I refuse to believe that you have found every assassin descendant and have proven that all of them, on their own, with no outside influence, commit crimes. Right, and also, like, maybe did you think they're extra violent here because you're holding them hostage? Or that the ones you've found are the violent ones because you're finding them through the DNA taken by crime, but taken by the police when they're arrested. Right, exactly. So you're only finding the violent ones. Rose, what you're telling me <laughs> is that you hate science and you just won't listen. That's exactly what I'm saying. I thought so. Anyway, the important thing is the whole movie hinges on this concept. So you just need to accept the animus and everything about it. Exactly. I will also say that this genetic memory is very detailed. Oh, so detailed. Yeah. And includes knowledge of things like Spanish. Mm-hmm. Cal says that he's feeling different, which we see over the course of the movie that the, the more time he spends in the Animus, the more of his ancestor he takes on. Like, the more knowledge, like, fighting skills and stuff of his ancestor he takes on. Mm-hmm. Which does not seem to concern them nearly enough. Because I feel like they've made all of these people way more violent and skilled than they would be if they hadn't put them in the Animus. So that's the thing. And actually, the main guard points that out mm -hmm. i think i think he says like we're feeding the beast we're making yeah, them stronger somebody does say that and he's not wrong yeah so some poor decision making on the part of the tumblers because at some point we see him sparring with his himself his genetic his memory. memory yeah yeah and it's like oh he's learning to fight right now i'm sure there right. was a very much extended scene of that probably I'm glad they cut it down. <laughs> if it doesn't have the backdrop of old Spain, I don't want to see it. Thank you. So Cal wants to know what kind of prison this is, but she says again that it's not a prison. Saying it multiple times doesn't make it true. Yeah, saying, like, it can it can be a research facility and a prison. Yeah. She takes him to, you know, he says he's hungry, so she's going to take him to the mess hall. But she they detour through a room that feels like the prisoner shouldn't be allowed into. It has yeah. all of the family trees of these people and, like, all the articles and stuff they pulled up on the wall. Like, they're yeah. vigilantes trying to track down a I crime know. syndicate. Oh, it's weird. 
She tells him she knows everything about him, which is a major HIPAA violation. And that goes from his, like, DNA medical records to, like, his time in foster homes and, right. you know, his life choices. When he was arrested, his DNA was taken by the police. That's how they found him, because that DNA matched Aguilar's DNA. I have a very important question, and I don't know the answer to it. How close would your DNA be to an ancestor who lived 500 years before you? I have no idea, partly because all DNA is pretty close. It feels like there you would get enough. There, there are so many generations between, in 500 years, there are enough generations that it seems to me that it would be an ambiguous DNA match yeah. to that specific ancestor. Yeah, it, it does seem that way. I mean, at that point, you're using, like, mitochondrial DNA to track it. Right, because at that point, you have, like, what, like, 32 ancestors at least? I mean, it just yeah. feels like, you know, this feels weird to me. Maybe some sort of DNA scientist could tell me that this is actually completely accurate if you had the DNA of someone for 500 years ago. I just feel like human well, DNA is close enough that with a 500-year gap, it would right. be really hard to accurately say with 100% certainty this person is an ancestor of this person. Because well, they haven't been tracking family lines. Right, but like also how great is the DNA in that 500-year-old body? Yeah, so DNA can last a really long time, but its half-life is a little over 500 years. So it's already started to degrade. And also, I have a feeling that it depends on where the body was stored, like buried. It does a lot, yeah. Yeah, so it is also possible that his DNA, because if he was buried somewhere in Spain, like, that's hot. So she also tells him that the other prisoners there are also descendants from assassins. Which makes total sense with the fact that they're allowed to wander freely and spend lots of time together mm-hmm. with they each talk other. talk to each other so they can plot and plan. Yeah, it feels like you would just let Maybe that happen. that's what she meant when she said this is not a prison. It was more about, like, the poor choices she's making. <laughs> she's not a very good jailer. She yeah. has people she knows are super dangerous, especially yeah. by her own logic of genetic All memory. All she's missing is, like, shiv-making workshops and stuff like that. I know. She now tells him about the Apple of Eden, which she says, the Bible says, contained the seeds of man's first disobedience. I don't particularly remember that being in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe, but um, it doesn't feel right somehow. She also says that some people believe that God or some sort of ancient civilization. Aliens. Yeah. It did sound like she wanted to say aliens and just didn't believe that it may contain the roadmap of why people are violent. Now, at this point, this is all stuff we've been told from the beginning, except that she's focusing on the violence rather than the free will, which we'll see later. It's she was told that it was violence and not free will. But this scene right here eliminates most of the need of the for the titles in the beginning. Yeah. So I don't understand how they're interpreting this story. If they think that the apple was really real... So they're, they're interpreting it in a weirdly literal way, and yet it's not even a literal apple. So is the implication that someone took a bite out of that? Well, it's also weird because in the Bible, it's not an apple. I mean, in the original Hebrew, it's not no, an it was, apple. No, because, no, exactly. So that was just the that's translation. like a modern translation of it. So the other weird thing, though, is 
The idea that the disobedience is inside the apple. Right. They had to eat the apple to that be disobedient. was the disobedience. So you could they wouldn't have ever done it if they didn't have free will already. Exactly. They they already had free will. So I don't know what, how those two were tied together. If anything, the disobedience was because was in the snake. So you should be looking for a mysterious yes, snake. Yes, snake. The apple was just something that happened to be around that they weren't supposed to eat. Exactly. So that that's really, I don't understand. I know. It's, it's one of those things that sounds really cool, but, like, if you know anything about the Genesis story and, like, think about it at all, it makes no sense. But it does sound cool, I guess. They save the seeds of man's first disobedience a lot in this movie, so they also like the way it sounds. You know what else they say a lot? Assassin's Creed. And they say for the creed yeah, a lot. But um, the creed is what you're saying. It's not who you are. It should be for the assassins. And they don't ever say Assassin's Creed in the video games. Oh, that's funny. And that's why it's so weird. They're constantly saying it. So Sophia tries to recruit Cal to the cause, basically saying that if you help us out, we'll get you a shiny brand new life that's way better than your other life. But Cal is seems kind of ambivalent about it. He, he's not saying one way or the other. <laughs> In the mess hall, which looks like a combination cafeteria, gym, and greenhouse, mm-hmm. some of the assassins speculate about Cal to each other. They're yes. not sure about this guy. Michael K. Williams befriends him. I mean, I say befriends him, goes up and, talk, goes up and talks to him. Yeah. Telling him they call him, the Templars, call him Musa, probably because that's his, his actual name in real life. But his name is Baptiste, and he's been dead for 200 years. Your name is Musa, buddy. If you were named Musa in this life, like, because now we're starting to get into reincarnation. This guy is acting like he is reincarnated. I think that... Which actually, by the way, would have been a much better explanation for a lot of this stuff. Right. If they had been just the reincarnations. The animus is not good for these people because they're now identifying too strongly with their previous lives. Like, I think it's like messing them up mentally because... Now they they feel too strongly attached to whatever ancestor they've been regressed to. Absolutely it does. And you can tell that also because the people look exactly like them. So it's a really weird thing. And in the in the movie, they also cross these lines where, like, at a certain point, the viewer's also viewing them as past lives. Yeah. It just would have been so much easier to say that they were past lives. It would have eliminated yeah. a lot of the problems. Yeah, it really would have. Musa asks Cal, we're just going to call him Musa, man. This is his name. Yeah. yeah. Musa asks Cal if he's met him yet. Just, have you met him? Yeah. In kind of an intense tone. Have you met him? Doesn't get an answer and then have just switches the subject <laughs> about yeah. how they're the last to protect the apple, so he better make the right choice. Yeah. So that was interesting. I just feel like it was one of those scenes that was like, to show him that he's in this mysterious conflict. But, like, I don't know that an assassin should have handled it that way. That lacked a lot of finesse. Yeah. So then one of the prisoners gives Cal an apple. And then another prisoner tries to take it away. This is all really weird and pointless. I know. And much like Cal, I kind of came to the conclusion that they were just super nuts. Like, yeah, and it that's, didn't make sense. I know. And so, really... That could be the tagline for this movie. (laughs) Assassin's Creed. I don't think that they handled that well. (laughs) 
So Cal is rightfully confused, but then he's distracted by some more hallucinations, including the song Crazy. So he kind of flashes back to seeing his mother be dead Mm -hmm. at the kitchen table, hearing the song Crazy playing. Some orderlies try and take Cal back to the Animus, and he fights them off as he's dragged away, or he tries to fight them off as he's dragged away, while singing Crazy really loudly and... Much like he himself is crazy. He did a good job of this. He did. And this is also where we see how big Michael Fassbender's mouth is. (laughs) His mouth is giant. As the orderlies hook him up to the Animus, the other prisoners debate whether they should kill him before he betrays them. Mm -hmm. Possibly why you don't let all the assassins hang out in the common room together. Seriously. Sophia, who's very concerned that it's too soon after the first regress and is only doing it because her father said she had to, tells Cal, who's still singing at the top of his lungs and therefore (laughs) probably not listening to a lot of this, that he has to stay with Aguilar or it could be dangerous. Back in Spain, Aguilar and Maria are in prison awaiting execution. They're dragged off to be executed before the Templar Grandmaster, Tomas de Torquemada. I'm assuming that's how you say that. Sure. Once again, not the best in Spanish. <laughs> he gets the crowd nice and riled up with a lot of talk about holy wars and stuff. Oh, yeah, he really does. But right at the last minute, Aguilar dramatically frees himself and Maria, and they escape by running across the rooftops, ending with what they all call, including the Templars watching. It's a well-known thing, I guess. Yeah. A leap of faith. Where you basically just uh, nosedive into a super long fall with an uncertain outcome, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that manages to pull him out of the regress. I know that the Leap of Faith is a video game thing, because I looked it up. Yes. I, it is not well explained in this movie, and I don't understand anything about it. But it does show up twice. Yeah, and one of them was the long... I can't remember which one was the longest... Fall by a free fall by a stuntman in 35 years. Oh, yeah. Cal has a seizure after he's pulled out of the regress, but he survives by being dipped in the chemical pool of some sort because he was like paralyzed or something. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that they say, but it has no actual effect on him as a human being yeah. later in this movie. So we're going to ignore it. Sophia tells him the only way to survive the regresses is to go willingly into the memories. She gives him his mother's necklace, which her father stole from the crime scene. Right. And reminds him of the cause of curing violence. But he says that he does not like her methods one bit. I'm here to be cured of violence. Who's going to cure you? Mm, You know, someone was very proud of that line. Pointed words. Yeah. Here's my question. He, they pull him halfway out of the chemical bath Mm -hmm. so that he's still partly submerged. She starts talking to him. He's talking back. They're having a real conversation. His ears are underwater the (laughs) whole time. I, he he could not have been able to hear her that well. That's funny. Alan visits Cal in his cell. He tries to butter him up, but when that doesn't work, he takes him on a field trip to the loony bin where all the vegetables are stored, who refuse to go to into the regression on their own. So now they just kind of wander around yes. this sad little room. I don't know why they stuck them all together, but no idea. I guess it was easier to take care of 30 of them in one room. Does honestly feel a little bit like they should have just killed them because why were they keeping them? Yeah. They're clearly not in this for altruism. So Right. They and they hate the assassins are like their blood enemies. Yeah. And they can't use these people anymore. 
So yeah. why would they go through the expense of keeping them? That's probably, you know, if they shaved their budget a little bit, they wouldn't be needing to spend $3 billion a year. And the, the Templars would probably keep them around longer. Yeah, exactly. So really, this is on Alan. <laughs> Alan gives Cal the blade his father used to kill his mother and then leaves him to find his father, who is for some reason stored in the room with the vegetables, even though he even himself though he is not. One. Yeah, he is not. But He doesn't seem at all impaired, which makes me wonder why he's not being forced into the Animus somewhere. Once you get to a certain age, maybe you <laughs> all just have to go into that room. Yeah. Meanwhile, and this is kind of intercut with it, so Sophia has been giving a checkup to Musa, who asks to be freed if they're not going to use him anymore, and she just doesn't say anything. Yeah. But once again, it's not a prison. You gonna uh, let us go now? Yeah. No, no comment. <laughs> yeah. She sees what her father is doing with Cal on a security monitor, which happens to be in the same room that you give people medical checkups in. Yep. Because it does. It just does. Um, her father comes into the room after talking with Cal so that I guess he can also watch on the monitor. She protests what her father is doing, but he says she left him no choice. He tells her it's the only way to get him to cooperate of his own free will, which she, for some reason, insists on, even though he also sees the results of this. I know. And she accuses her father of manipulation, which feels a lot like the pot calling the kettle black here. Back with Cal, he's found his father, and they're having a chat. His father tells him his blood belongs to the creed, which I feel like if that was the case, you probably should have started indoctrinating your son before... Like, when he was a very small child. I don't know yeah. why you didn't tell him any, anything when he was, like, 10 years old. And that's why when we first saw, when he was, like, they found us, I was like, who, the assassins? And you were trying to run away from them your whole life? Because that's all that makes sense to me if this kid is as old as he is and he doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, he should have already been, begun the indoctrination process. Yeah. Cal's mother understood that the, yeah. their blood is not their own. Which is why, even though he was supposed to be the one that killed her, she actually impales herself on his knife, the father's mm -hmm. knife, so that the Templars couldn't get a hold of her and put her in the Animus. And then he basically says that he regrets not being strong enough to kill Cal, which was what he was supposed to do. My question is, why didn't he kill himself? Yeah. Why is the only person who who got killed was his wife? I know. You're more willing to have, like, to kill you. Okay, I'm going to kill you first. And then, because also, why did the wife need him to kill her? She yeah, could she have killed have herself. Her blades. <laughs> yeah, she could have killed herself. Actually, it would make more sense if she'd killed herself and the father was supposed to kill himself after he kills her son. Right. And so the only reason for him to still be alive would be if they interrupted him before he had the chance to kill himself, which is patently untrue, because he had enough t warning to tell his son to run away. He yeah. could have easily killed himself. I do not like this one bit. His father is not a good assassin, and I don't like him. Yeah, he's not. Nothing that we see makes us think that he is. Yeah. Anyway. Cal's father lets him know that he's okay with Cal killing him as long as Cal doesn't go back into the Animus and help them find the apple. Well, turns out he's never been good with dealing with a disobedient child, because that is probably not what he should have said to him. Cal is now 100% on board the Find the Apple train. Yeah, he really is. Uh, and I don't understand why. The only reason, like, he's such father issues that he, he is like, his dad says don't do it, and then he's like, oh, I'll show you, even though clearly everybody else says that too. Right. So... 
I don't know. And I don't think that this man is someone who would care at all about curing violence. No, he doesn't care about that. He also doesn't seem to regret the own violence, his own violence he's committed in his life. I mean, he does he, say, like, oh, I killed someone, but, like, it was just a pimp. And I'm like, but he doesn't seem burdened by anything that he's done. No, he does not. Cal is taken back through the facility by some orderlies, and an assassin is waiting for him in one of the rooms. He kills the guard and tries to kill Cal, but some new guards come in and take him away. So, poorly thought out plan. Not as good as this as you thought you were. And basically a useless scene, but whatever. Yeah. They, they hook Cal back up to the Animus, and the head of security then starts talking to Cal about the root of the word assassin. In what feels like an evil mastermind speech at the end of, like, once they captured the, you know, James Bond, like, Mm -hmm. this didn't feel like something this guy, who we hardly ever see, should be doing. It felt like something Jeremy Irons should be saying. So the reason that this guy's saying it is because he's the main villain in the past. Oh, okay. Well, I did miss that, and I still feel like it should have been Jeremy Irons saying it. I know. I, here's the thing. He didn't look enough like himself. Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't look enough like his ancestor for me to catch that until right after he said this. They were also really spotty with who was who was in the past and who wasn't. So Jeremy Irons was not in the past. No. This guy apparently was, which I completely missed. Mm-hmm. He was the guy with the long hair, the black bun. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. I can see yeah. it. Maria doesn't have anyone in the future. No. Marion Cotillard doesn't have anyone in the past. Mm-mm. I mean... It seems weird for only two people to have both past and present incarnations, but yeah. also it seems weird that it wouldn't be, if you were going to have two people, that it wouldn't be Jeremy Irons I know, as the second person, or Marion Cotillard. This yeah. head of security feels weird. I know, and it kind of made the stakes lower, it feel lower, mm-hmm. because you were like, oh, well, he was a middle guy then, and he's a middle guy now, like, who cares? And I will say the stakes in the past are always super low because we've already been told that he can't change the memories. Yeah. So, now we're back in the past. The Sultan meets with Torquemada to trade the apple for his son, which I just... This is so weird. Why would you ever trade anything that had contained the entirety of free will? I mean, I get you love your son or whatever, and I know they talked about him being a weak man, but like... It is just like, oh, please give me back my son so that we can condemn him to a life of slavery. slavery, Yeah. Along with the rest of the universe. Yeah. Whatever. Torquemada again repeats the seeds of disobedience thing, because we cannot hear that enough. Nope. Only to be interrupted by Aguilar and Maria attacking with a lot of cool poses. (laughs) Maria, however, gets captured, and they demand the apple for her safety. They're like holding a knife to her throat. She impales herself on the knife held at her throat, much like his his mother did, which I feel like was not a parallel that was ever I, commented on. Oh, I thought the guy did it. No, she impales herself. Oh, okay. And then Aguilar escapes with the apple, taking another leap of faith, which he follows through this time. Nice. Finally synced enough. It causes the animus to break down, but like, not all the way. Not all the way. But like, it's like he does, a little bit. He's not attached to the, the crane arm anymore. Right, but they can still see... But the neural link is still there. Right, the neural link is still there. They can still see all his memories. Yeah. Know, seemed weird. Because, it, yeah, it definitely works well enough for them on the computer to be able to follow Aguilar as he goes to a port city in what had to be a huge timeline leap in these memories. 
do they get to selectively choose when they're going to flash forward to? Like, we just happen to know the next scene that's important to this story is when he shows up in the port city. I guess so, yeah. I mean, it, but it didn't necessarily have to be... Yeah, but it would but have been But they like also did, they days. were surprised. They were yeah. like, where is he now? Where is he now? Yeah, they So, like, this is it. something Michael Fassbender would have had to do on his own somehow in these memories. Yeah. Or, like... Aguilar maybe had amnesia for those few days, so he doesn't remember anything until he gets to the port city. Straight to Cadiz. Yeah. Aguilar gives the apple to Christopher Columbus, who promises to take it to his grave. Which is so weird, because if Christopher Columbus was... I actually was waiting for him to say his name in the past, and I was like, what name are you going to say? Because it's not Christopher Columbus, but... They say it in the present. They don't say it in the present. They identify it in the present. Yeah. Yeah. But if he was on anybody's side, he would have been on the church's side. It because does seem he weird. was so, so church going. Yeah. That he thought towards the end of his life when he was like kind of a has-been and not doing anything, he thought that he was the only person who could convert to Christianity, the emperor of China. <laughs> yeah. Cal is still hooked up to the machine. Okay, so now we know where the apple, they, the Templars basically know where the apple is. It's buried with Christopher Columbus. They know where that is. They're going to go find it. Cal is still hooked up to the machine, but he's now seeing a vision in present day life of Aguilar in, standing in front of him. The scientist confirms that this is not a memory. Like, so if he is like, is this a memory? And the scientist is like, no, it's not. Yeah. And yet they can also, I, I don't know if they can see that he is seeing this, but because it's kind of implied that they can see Aguilar. Yeah. Anyway. More assassins start appearing until they surround him in the room and he, like, you know, looks at all of them. And also Maria shows up and takes a gander at Sophia, mm-hmm. which made me for a second, I had to go check and make sure that this wasn't Marion Cotillard playing both roles, and it's not. It's right. two different actors. They're not supposed to be the same. I don't know why Maria thought she'd check out Marion Cotillard. His mother's ghost is also one of the assassins that shows up. And tells him, tells him that he's not alone, and he never was. This Aww. is the turning point in his character. He is 100% on board the assassin train now. He's so easily and for <laughs> weird reasons swayed to one side or the other. Yeah. He and his mother repeat the creed together, and now he's part of the gang. Now he's in it to win it. Yes. The other assassins in the facility start a riot in order to break out. Alan orders the facility purged because he's a huge jerk. <laughs> yeah. And which is another reason why I'm like, why didn't you kill him? To play a jerk. I know. But it's another reason where I'm like, why didn't you just kill off the old assassins when you were done with That's them? That's the thing. Now <laughs> you have to hurriedly kill a bunch of people. Yes. And they've taken your time. Yeah. And they, they do manage to kill all of the vegetables, including Cal's father. But he's, I think he takes someone, at least one person down with him. Possibly. Alan's also trying to force, like, she, he forces Sophia to leave, although he is like, we have to leave now, and then he leaves, and then it's like a security person that leaves, like, much later. Right. Takes, takes her out. Well, he's looking out for number one. Yeah. Musa shows up in the Animus room, and it's just like, hey, Cal, what's up? Like, it, not like, should we kill, like, have you betrayed us? Like, should, no, just yeah. like, what, so what now, buddy? And I'm like, was he the unofficial leader of you guys now? Like, what's going on with this? I guess. Felt weird. But Cal tells him they are going to fight. They break open all the cases that the Templars have lying around of their ancient weapons Mm -hmm. and uh, get them and put them on and bust out of there, including the stylish cloaks, which they also have. 
Yes. <laughs> we just kept these in pristine condition. Yeah. I may have missed some of the details of this, though, because Michael Fassbender was shirtless through this whole thing. Oh, he took his shirt off before he even went into the Animus. For some reason, when he yeah. was getting ready for that, he was like, all right, shirt off. And I was like, this is new. <laughs> this has never been a thing before now. And now you're just, like, pulling a Captain Kirk and getting your shirt off. Well, I was not complaining. Well, I'm, no, I'm not mad, but yeah. it's, yeah. The important thing is that he can punch through glass. Yeah. And pose, ha- like, rooftop glass. So oh, yeah. super thick glass. And also pose half naked on the rooftop. That's that's the important things that I took away he from these. did successfully do both of those things. Yes. <laughs> so a Templar delivers the apple to Alan in a church because they just like to hang out there. It wasn't busy, so they just thought, we yeah. just use this as our meeting point. Yeah. It's... The elder, the, the older woman, reassures Sophia that even though her father will get the credit, she knows who's really responsible and her time will come. Sophia looks a little bit troubled by this. Yeah, she does. That night, Sophia confronts her father. She's read his speech and knows he's going to use the apple to destroy the assassins, not cure violence. She finally has learned that it cures violence, but gets rid of free will. Mm-hmm. Once again, I don't know why she thought those two things were different. I know. If you force people to not be able to commit violence, you are restricting their free will. That's yeah. just... Absolutely. No matter how you cure violence, that is restricting people's free will. Yeah. She's angry that he's been lying to her, but he's always known she was a scientist first and a Templar second. So I pretty much have been lying to you forever because I just could tell. Because I, I mean, didn't properly brainwash you as a child. Yeah. And like so I now I'm taking that out on you. needed to do that. Yeah. yeah. Also, somehow her work confirmed to them that mankind can't be redeemed. This is just a bold yeah. statement that is made and not backed up in any way, shape, or form. So weird. And I was like, yeah, pretty much everybody's only seeing what they want to in this work. She's seeing that people are genetically prone to murder and violence. He's seeing that no one can ever be redeemed. Yeah. It's they, they're not making a strong effort at redeeming people, by the way. They're not... No. Yeah. Science is whatever we want it to be. <laughs> exactly. He asks... For an opening to his speech, and she tells him, now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, which I personally feel like is an overused quote. It is. I would have rather had, look upon my work, see mighty and despair. I like Which is from the poem Ozymandias. Yeah. Alan passes on that, though. Both (laughs) quotes. He didn't realize that mine was also a suggestion, but he passed on it, too. He passed on it, too. And classic, unfazed Jeremy Irons Manor. He's like, I don't think I can make that work. <laughs> yeah, and then goes and gives his speech. I was speech like, as man, yeah. I still walked away feeling like Marion Cotillard got owned. Not Jeremy I love Irons. Jeremy Irons. He's the best. Okay, so one of the things I will say in this movie's defense is that the actors are all they they got really good actors to do it, and oh, yeah. all of the actors do a really good job. They're like great. They sold it as much as they could. Oh yeah. It really makes the movie so much more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. While Alan's giving his speech, a cloaked cow finds Sophia and tries to guilt trip her into helping him. Basically, what what he gets is her agreeing to not tell anyone he's there, which he also could have gotten by just not, not approaching her, her right in front of her. <laughs> hey, Sophia. Hey, it's me. Will you please agree to not tell anyone I just said hi to you? Yeah, because he doesn't actually need her help. No. All he needs is for her to not tell, like, to basically do nothing. 
But he was standing conspicuously in the middle of the room when she was looking over, which he didn't need to do. I know. She basically, by doing nothing, agrees to do nothing. So Alan activates the apple because somehow it's super easy to use and you it just like emits a green light and he does it in a room full of Templars, which well, I feel like I would be worried about my free will if I was standing in that room. I don't think that's how it works. I think there's a code inside and you have to like figure out the code and then how to use it. Okay, all I know is he pressed a button and then there was some green light that was being emitted from that right. apple. Right, and I think, I think if you like had it in a smaller place you would see it showing a code i think that's really what it was oh but i think that really like free will aside you should be investigating it for a a sustainable power source (laughs) because it's very old so so while he's doing this dramatically cal camp comes up behind him and slits his throat yeah how which also turns off the apple i know room Full of Templars. The only person he had to get past was Sophia, apparently. He's standing in the middle of a stage. Yeah. And no one notices. I'm like, I know that we didn't notice because of the way you shot it, but, like, this is a room full of Templars looking at him from all different angles. I know. And yet no one noticed Michael Fassbender walk up to the middle of a stage and slit his throat. And I know you didn't have guns at the facility, but you don't have any here? They do not. Literally, everybody just turned and ran. Right. Everyone, yeah, all the Templars start panicking and they leave. Yeah. And the lights turn off after he slits his throat. Right. And then they come back on and he's gone. And, you know, Sophia goes up to where her father is lying dead and sees that it's like a real fruit apple, like the one that he was given at the facility. Yeah. And the other apple's gone. Yeah. So Sophia stands over her father's body and takes responsibility for her father's death, like in a in a metaphorical way, not in a like, you should right. arrest me, I just killed my father. But like <laughs> Yeah. She's like, and, I did this. Yes. And vows to retrieve the artifact and get revenge on Cal. With two lines that were so poorly enunciated that I had to rewind twice and then finally just put subtitles on. <laughs> also, what did she think was going to happen? She's well, already yeah. decided that descendants of assassins are going to be way more violent than they should be because of their genetic memory. Yeah. And they are literally called assassins. As a group. And yet she somehow was expecting her father to make it through alive if she did nothing? Yeah, I don't get that. And that because she, she seems to be mad not that the apple's gone, but that she killed he killed her father. Right. Yeah, maybe she did just I mean, she seemed to be pretty naive about a lot of things. Yeah. Maybe she did just think that he was gonna just take the apple. But what's funny is that she takes it pretty stoically, which made me feel like it was all like she's putting it on, but she's clearly not. She's serious about it. Yeah, which is so weird, because then I feel like, well, you still didn't agree with what they were doing, though, so why would you go find the apple now? I guess she's just, like, now she's She's a Templar. I guess for the same reason that Michael Fassbender was, like, now I'm an assassin. She's like, now I'm a Templar. I'm gonna do this thing. Yeah. uh, Also, your father was super-duper evil. You just realized that. Like, I understand mourning your father's death, but at the same time, like, it's not like you did not understand why this was happening. Instead of jumping into your new vow, maybe go to therapy, reconcile your love for your father with the fact that he was evil. Yeah. And uh, figure out what Knights Templar means to you. (laughs) Yes. And then decide if you want to be Charlotte Rampling's henchman. Yes. The elders okay this. They're fine. They're They're like, great, we can always use volunteers. Yeah, and I guess this was a potential sequel setup. I think so. We end, though, showing on the top of a tall building in the distance, 
Cal, and a couple other assassins posing menacingly for no one while wearing jackets that will get them arrested as soon as a cop sees them. That <laughs> makes them look very suspicious. It does. And isn't there one last shot of a golden eagle? Yeah, probably. That's Assassin's Creed. Woo! It was boring. <laughs> the fight scenes were actually all really No, it's true. If more of it had taken place in Spain... That would have been interesting. The yeah. problem is they kept com- coming back to the future. Yeah. Where nothing was happening. Well, because the other problem is we already kind of know what's going to happen yeah. in the Spanish stuff because yeah. of what's happening in the future. And because we were split between the two timelines, we didn't really get enough of either one. Yeah. It was also a little bit weird that Aguilar had very little effect on Cal's decisions. Like, yeah, reliving Aguilar's memories didn't give him a better understanding of what the why the assassins fight the way they do or why Aguilar fought for what he did or I mean yeah other than them just generally espousing the party line which I wouldn't find to be very convincing he learned right. nothing from being Aguilar except how to fight better which is really weird yeah because he's he's literally killing people yeah to do this thing it's so important that he would give his own life for it but that still doesn't mean anything to Cal yes and I will say, I feel like Aguilar and Maria made a very ridiculous decision, considering their creed of everything is permitted. We're not bound by the laws of morality and, and law. And yet, they know that the Sultan will trade anything for the safety of his son. I'm sorry, what is the first solution that pops into your brain if you think that you can do anything at all? Because for me, it's kill the child. I know. I was thinking that too. Like, well, when they found him in the town... Yeah. Kill everybody there. And then blame it on the Templars. That's the thing. Blame it on the Templars, kill everybody there, and then bam. And they're not bound by laws of morality, so they don't care whether the child lives or dies. I know, and they clearly are, and that's what bothered me about that. They No one even mentions the possibility of killing a child. Yeah. And that would have gotten the director closer to the both sides. Neither exactly. Neither side is right or wrong thing. Yeah, that that's wanted. a good point. Because these are people that will kill children. Yeah. With no remorse. So maybe they shouldn't have free will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would have been so... Oh my gosh, now I'm... Now... <laughs> ah, I know. So the budget for this was $125 million, And it made $241 million. Ooh. So it did pretty well. Yeah. Surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially considering this was basically universally panned by every critic. Exactly. And from what I've been able to find, there are two additional films that have been planned, but I don't know if there's been any progress on those since, since this movie. Yeah. So, who knows? There could be more in the future, which I will 100% watch. <laughs> I will, too. They'll be amazing. Hopefully, they'll be a little better than this. They can't possibly be better than this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so next up, we have Catwoman. The Halle Berry one, of course. Of course. Which is very exciting. I remember actually wanting to see that when it came out. I knew it was so bad, and I knew it was supposed to be terrible. But something about it, I just really wanted to see it. So now I'll fulfill a years-long dream. Did it live up to all your expectations? No, I don't know. I'm gonna You've f- still never seen it? No, we're going to find out. Okay, then. That's what's <laughs> next on More is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.